and together they form a saga of epic proportions. Here, in a single volume, are the greatest achievements of humankind, and the first ever full story of the triumph of liberty. Jim Powell is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, and editor of Laissez-Faire Books. He has written for, among others, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Esquire, and American Heritage. He speaks on liberty around the world, and lives in Westport, Connecticut, with his family. This book bears a dedication for Madeline, Frank, Marissa, Justin, Kristen, and Rosalind. The Triumph of Liberty by Jim Powell Forward by Paul Johnson As someone who, in a small way, has tried his best to advance the cause of human liberty through books, articles, broadcasts, and lectures over many decades now, I commend this book to the American people. Jim Powell is a stalwart champion of liberty. He is a man of great energy, determination, obstinacy, and courage, and all of these qualities have gone into his work on behalf of liberty. He believes, as I do, that worthwhile abstract ideas are best promoted by the study of the lives of those who embodied them. That is what he has done in this book. I do not agree with all of it. Some of the people he presents as heroes and heroines of liberty in this narrative exhibited serious flaws of character and judgment, and their lives and writings and sayings should be studied with caution. But that is how one should approach all history not least biographical history. What I am sure of is that anyone who reads The Triumph of Liberty will profit from it, emerging with a better idea of what liberty means and how it is advanced. That is something well worth doing, and Jim Powell has done it. Paul Johnson is author of Modern Times, A History of the Jews, A History of Christianity, A History of the American People, and other books. Introduction How did mankind ever come by the idea of liberty? What a grand thought it was! G. C. Lichtenberg, 1799 Liberty is a rare and precious thing. For thousands of years, no one had ever heard of individual rights. According to historian Fernand Brodel, slavery was the norm a universal phenomenon affecting all primitive societies. In ancient Mesopotamia, prisoners of war and offenders undergoing punishment were slaves. So were children, whose destitute parents often sold them into slavery. Government officials and priests owned slaves who labored as household servants, artisans, and concubines. Egypt was substantially built on forced labor, Almost all agricultural land was tilled by serfs, usually condemned to be serfs for life. The government conscripted thousands for massive projects, and successful foreign military campaigns brought large numbers of slaves who performed a myriad of menial tasks. Government officials had households full of slaves who worked as cooks, seamstresses, and brewers. In China, slavery goes back at least to the Shang dynasty in the second millennium B.C., where it was commonplace. Slaves, typically captured during war, performed farm labor with leashes around their necks. 
There were slaves in ancient Crete and Greek city-states. Scholars estimate that over 80,000 slaves lived in Athens during the 5th and 4th centuries B.C. Rome engaged in seemingly endless military campaigns, yielding hundreds of thousands of prisoners who became slaves. At the emporiums of Capua and Delos, some 20,000 slaves changed hands each day. By some estimates, three-quarters of the people living on the Italian peninsula were slaves. Nor were slaves unique to the ancient world. By the 3rd century A.D., as more and more peasants abandoned their farmland and headed for cities where free food was distributed, the untended land lost value and didn't yield tax revenue. In 332 A.D., as a temporary measure to help maintain tax collections, Emperor Constantine declared that peasants must remain on the land. They were coloni, Constantine decreed. As for the coloni who attempt to run away, it shall be allowed to load them with chains in the manner of slaves. Thirty-nine years later, this policy had become permanent. In medieval Europe, most people were serfs, enslaved to the soil. They farmed land and performed other services for aristocratic landowners, who themselves owed military service as well as money to their kings. Serfs could not be sold apart from the land, nor could they legally leave the land. This was the era of feudalism. Forced labor aimed sometimes to mount a defense against barbarian invaders and sometimes to pillage more prosperous neighbors. The Catholic Church promoted serfdom and slavery. In 1452 and 1453, Pope Nicholas IV officially approved Portugal's efforts to enslave heathens. And in 1493, Pope Alexander VI sanctioned Spanish slavery in the Americas. Since medieval monks were so successful at convincing lords they should bequeath their estates to the Catholic Church, it became the biggest landowner in Europe, with more serfs than anyone else. Church canon law had specific provisions against freeing slaves, and the church even profited from the death of serfs who belonged to non-church landlords. The Lord had the right to seize a deceased serf's best farm animal, and the local priest could seize the second best animal. There were few constraints on what feudal landowners could do. The knight of the 11th and 12th centuries was no model of gentleness and refinement, reported medieval scholar Brian Tierney. He drank himself into a stupor with considerable regularity. His castle was usually filled with prostitutes. If he got annoyed with his opponent during a chess game, he was inclined to brain him with one of the massive chessmen of the day. When a servant was slow in bringing his wine, he threw a javelin at him to speed his steps. If his wife annoyed him, he beat her savagely. While he was bound not to injure his lord, his lord's immediate family, his vassal, or his vassal's family, the feudal system left him entirely free in regard to all other persons. Slavery has continued throughout much of the world right up to the 21st century. In Slavery, a World History, Milton Meltzer reported continuing slavery in Bangladesh, Brazil, Ghana, India, Mauritania, Mozambique, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Sri Lanka, and Thailand, among other places. 
Investigator Harry Wu exposed the Laogai camps in China, where millions are enslaved. Worse than slavery has been government killing on an unimaginable scale. In 1221 A.D., Mongol Tului murdered some 700,000 people in Khorasan, north of Persia. The 13th century sultan of Delhi, Qutbuddin, reportedly murdered hundreds of thousands of Indians. The 14th century Mongol conqueror Tamerlane murdered an estimated 100,000 prisoners near Delhi. Aztecs conducted human sacrifices, and a Spanish conquistador reported counting 125,000 skulls. The Spanish went on to slaughter the Aztecs. During the late 15th century, an estimated 125,000 people were murdered or died in prison because of the Spanish Inquisition. In 1572, the government of French King Charles IX authorized the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, in which about 36,000 Protestants were murdered. About 7.5 million people were killed as European states fought for power during the Thirty Years' War, 1618-1648. In America, at least 2 million Indians were massacred. Between 1740 and 1897, 230 European wars and revolutions resulted in the deaths of over 20 million people. During the 15-year Taiping Rebellion of the mid-19th century, Chinese imperial forces killed all potential opponents, and the death toll reportedly hit 40 million. The 20th century was drenched in blood. Adolf Hitler murdered an estimated 21 million Balts, Czechs, Frenchmen, Gypsies, Homosexuals, and Slavs, as well as Jews. Communist China murdered an estimated 35.2 million of its...